Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and the French, French accent. <laughs> and you stay for the principles. And we have a jam packed show for you today. I want to talk to you about what's happening in our world and about government. Do you ever hear the saying, united we stand, divided we fall? In many ways, that's exactly what is happening in your country right now and in countries around the world. Because what's happening is it's all partisan politics. If you look around at the arguments, England is voting or voted on Thursday. A lot of people will say, you can't vote Tory. No, they're eating scum. You can't vote Labour. They're just a bunch of socialists, a bunch of commies. You can't vote for the Lib Dems because, well, who gives a crap about them? These arguments sound familiar. You could literally replace the party name and put that into America, put that into Europe, put that in other countries around the world. It's all about dividing. We're better than you. Or in many cases, it's not even we're better than you. It's just, hey, hey, listen, look, I've got my problems, but let's not focus on me. Let's not talk about me for a minute. Let's talk about them. They're the real problem. Yeah, I'm not great. Yeah, I'm not the best looking guy. You know what? Yeah, I'm not the most smartest. But you know what? They're really evil. Don't look at me. Does this get you anywhere? What is happening around the world is we're just so built on partisan politics. But also what is happening is, is government is now tapping into this. And I will ask you, I'm going to share some stories with you from America and around the world that are pretty key. And one of the things that happens when you have this hyper-partisan rhetoric and this hyper-partisan politics is the idea of government goes away. And what you have is, in an ideal world, it isn't left versus right. It isn't black versus white. It isn't even rich versus poor. It is the people who have power in usually in terms of government or a dictator or a theocracy or a king or a queen, if you want to go back to ancient times, or, or pharaohs or emperors, and those who don't have power. That is usually the, the, the economy of the debate, if you look at it from a principal point of view. It's those who have power and who have unforced and enforceable influence on your life, and those that don't, that are the subjects. Right now, you don't have them. What you have is a system where we just focus in on everyone else and government gets away with it. And when you have this system, one of the things that is missing is a key term in life. And that's called responsibility. Look, we don't like responsibility. It's not a cool thing to talk about responsibility. Unless you're Jordan Peterson, he's the only person I know that has made talking about responsibility somewhat cool. A lot of other times it's like, oh, no, go on, no. 
you have to be responsible. Oh, yeah, yeah, shut up, mother, father, whatever it is. You know, over here, your parent is that would always talk to you about it. Oh, you got to be more responsible. You got to make your bed. You got to clean your room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go away. Leave me alone. I, I want to leave home to get away from that. Oh, you have to have responsibilities in a job. Yeah, I don't want that. It's not a fun thing to talk about. But we have responsibilities in life. And the understanding, and if you've ever been in a relationship, you know this, whether it's a romantic relationship or, you know, a a parent-son-daughter relationship or any type of relationship, even in a work relationship, if someone is negating their responsibilities or is phoning it in, their responsibilities don't just go poof into the sky. They just don't go, poof. well, you know what? It is their responsibility to do that. But since they didn't do it, we just went away. No, usually what happens is, Nature abhors a vacuum, and invariably someone else will step in and solve those responsibilities or fix those responsibilities. And guess what happens? Either one, you have a power-hungry person goes, yeah, yeah, you go sit in the corner, I'll take care of that, and then gets more power and more power. And all of a sudden you wake up one day, whether it's in your life or in your romances or your work, you're like, my God, they have a lot of power. Where did they come from? Or it causes resentment. It causes anger because you have that person in the corner. That's their job. Why are they not doing it? Why do I always have to bail them out? And they never, ever, ever get in trouble for it. Those are usually the two biggest things that happens when people abdicate their responsibilities. That's in general. Now let's talk about government. When was the last time you looked at your government and saw accountability, saw responsibility? You know, I love your country so much. I love the idea of it. I will defend the idea of America till I die. I am that passionate about it. I will defend the Constitution. I will point out some of its flaws that I disagree with. Hello, post office. And I cop. But I will also defend the articles. I will defend it. I will defend the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers. I will not always agree with 100% of them, but I will have that debate. And I'm educated enough to go, I like this, I don't like this, and here's where I think they were wrong. Here's where I think the founders were wrong. I love the idea. But your government is a colossal train wreck. You know, the idea of what you need right now is businessmen or you need people involved. There's one simple thing. You guys don't even pass a budget. You haven't passed a budget since 2008. Back when George Bush was president. So you've gone through George Bush, you've gone through Barack Obama, you've gone through Donald Trump, you're now on Joe Biden. You still can't pass a budget. Forget what's in the budget that's wrong and horrifically bad. Who is actually responsible for things in D.C.? But also, more importantly than that, what you have, and this is just, I'm not going to go in on a big rant about this, but from a constitutional point of view, who has accepted their responsibilities to enforce the Constitution? Who has taken that oath of office, placed their hand on that Bible, whether you're left or right, top or bottom, or conservatives or liberals, and went, I will preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States, so help me God. I'm actually done it. What's happened is we're just so caught up in going, well, we can't vote for them. They're the problem. That's what both sides say in your country right now. Let's hear some stories. The first one is obviously COVID. Where is their responsibility on COVID? Anywhere. In my country, they have openly admitted they're lying about the death counts. We're not talking about death counts. And they're defending this, by the way. And this is, I suspect this is going on. I suspect it's definitely going on in England. But I suspect it's going on in America and other places as well. 
where it's not our debts, you know, our debt total. We've had like 2,400 deaths from of COVID. It's not of COVID. It's not like COVID killed 2,400 people. It's COVID was in the body of 2,400 people within 28 days of death. So you could have cancer, die of cancer, but if you had COVID within 28 days of your death, you're a COVID death. They're openly lying about this now. And no one just goes, eh. Look at how many times they have changed the goalposts. Oh, 15 days to slow the curve. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Do, do, do. do this. Do this. Wash your hands. Social distancing. It's two meters. It's one meters. It's one mask. It's two masks. It's three masks. It's two masks. You can do this. You can't do that. There's no accountability. There's no point in no understanding that, hey, we have to do X, Y, Z. And if you do X, Y, Z, things change. Well, what happens when you do X, Y, Z? Then it's why we're going to do ABC. Well, but why? Even this constant messaging right now. You had Joe Biden this week, who, when he's in the the the, the Rose Garden, I think the picture was of his with his wife. He's like masked up. He's fully vaccinated. This week goes and meets Jimmy Carter and his wife and takes a picture of it, and no mask. Where is the consistency? Where is the responsibility? Second story. India. I'm relating this to COVID. I don't know if you guys are paying attention to India right now, but some of the pictures are truly horrifying of what's going on in India. They're having a COVID crisis through the roof. It's like 400,000 cases a day. They're literally, the hospitals are rampacked. They're, they're just crazy. And they're literally burning bodies when people die. It's truly horrific to watch. It's heartbreaking. But watching the coverage over here, I don't know if you've started to, if you've been paying attention to it, but reading the understanding and understanding the coverage of it is truly frightening to me. They're lambasting the Indian government for not doing more lockdowns. Because, and I read this in many papers in Ireland, Europe, and England, or I think I even read one in America. The Indian government is responsibility for killing its people. Really? Why? Because it didn't do lockdowns. It didn't protect the people. That's its job. No, that is not the government's job. If I walk out tomorrow and I get, do you know what? And I'm not saying this is a joke and I apologize if this causes insensitive, but you know, I've had issues with depression and suicide. If I walk out tomorrow and walk under a car or I decide to take a load of pills, this, there's no government fault there. There's no, well, well, I wonder what could law could we have passed to stop John walking under a car? Or what law could we have passed so it would have been harder for him to get those pills? If people want to do that, it's my choice. You may not like my choice. You might rightly say that your choice sucked. And I would say, hey, guess what? Life is for living, that you should you know, not follow this path. But understanding that it is not their responsibility. If there's a pandemic going on and I'm vulnerable and I go in, then I accept those chances. Likewise, if I get on a plane, when August 28 comes, I get on a plane. I think it's like 0.0001% chance I die getting on that plane from a plane crash. Maybe I didn't, maybe I added one too many zeros or didn't have one too many. I can't remember. But I remember looking this up. There is a chance you die walking on a plane. Likewise in a car. I get out into the car and I go grocery shopping tomorrow. There's a chance I get involved in a massive crash and die. We all have chances. We could die in our sleep. We could wake up, go to bed tonight, go to sleep and go, oh, and die, have a heart attack. There's chances of all of these things, but it is not the government's job. We need to understand the definition of this. 
This is the biggest reason I wanted to share this. Third story. You're starting to see, and I'm sure if you're not following the market, you've seen some stories about cryptocurrency, about Bitcoin, about Dogecoin, about different, you know, Iridium's going high, Cardano's going high. And people like Bill Maher now is starting to talk about it and slamming it. Why is cryptocurrency so popular? Well, first of all, for younger people and for people who have a bit of money, it's a great earning opportunity. It's a great chance to make money. It's a great investment. You know, you don't make much money anymore when you bought in on, on Apple or Amazon or some of the stocks that you see today. It's like literally buying Amazon stock before it was Amazon. It's a great earning opportunity. There is that. But also for a lot of people, the reason Bitcoin specifically, not crypto, but Bitcoin specifically got involved was because governments around the world abdicated their responsibility to any way sane of economic policies. This understanding that you keep printing money is not sustainable. This constant money, modern monetary theory, MMT, where just keep printing that money, baby. And this is not a slam on America or any particular country. This is every country. The idea of understanding a balanced budget is something that is completely alien in America, in Ireland, in England, in Europe, in Asia, in Australia. You name the country, Japan, it's completely alien. All the debt, the, the, if you were to graph the debt of every individual country, literally it just goes up. Sure, there's some blips where it goes up less one year over another, but it still keeps going back up. That is the only way debt goes. Then you start printing money. Then you have this constant bailouts for the banks. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think people are just going to go, hmm, well, well, say la vie, that's government's job. That government has abdicated their responsibility. Well, we just have to accept it. Or do you think somebody's going to go, well, hmm, there's an opportunity here to be make some money. Hey, guess what we can do? We're going to do it. And they come up with this idea of cryptocurrency. Now, I get there's a lot of people who are skepticism. I'm not here to sell you on cryptocurrency. But I find it absolutely amazing, the people who insult cryptocurrency. Their arguments are so juvenile, it's unbelievable. Oh, what? You can't touch it. You can't do this. You can't hold it. I'd much rather something physical. Great. You have something physical. It's called a dollar. Do you know why that's worth something? All that is is a piece of paper with ink on it. Oh, well, it has in God we trust and America's $1 bill, and it has a picture of a famous president on there. Or if it's Franklin, it's not a president. Oh, you have these different people. Hello, Mr. Washington. Guess why that means something to us? It means something to us because we go, it's a unit of value. Hey, I have this pen. You want to buy it for a dollar? Yeah, sure, give me one dollar and I change it. It has currency, it has value because we put value in it. That's the only reason a currency is available. If I went, you know what, tomorrow, I'm going to sell stuff, but I will take any currency bar the dollar. Guess what? The dollar's worthless. The dollar's worthless to me. Give me euros, give me yens, give me pesos. I don't know what it is. That's the only reason it has value, because it's an accepted form of currency. That's the same reason people like Bitcoin, like a reading. Hey, I don't want to buy a dollar. I want a point one of a Bitcoin or point zero zero one of a Bitcoin, depending on how much money you're looking to transfer. But the reason that you have is government has abdicated its responsibility on a large, massive scale. And coronavirus has just went, we were bad before coronavirus, but now it's just got worse. This idea of a $2 trillion infrastructure bill, that's not infrastructure, a $2 trillion bill and COVID relief, that's not COVID relief. It's incredible. This is what happens. 
we are abdicating our responsibility. But also onto a cultural issue, Ford story, and they're all linked. Do you know since 2012, the amount of cops who are quitting per year has doubled? Why is that? Why is that? Look at the temperature around cops right now. Would you want to be a cop? And I'm going to just focus in on to my friends on the left who listen to this show, who are like, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of cops. Do you know why you should be against this? 2,400 cops quit last year. Do you think it's the 2,400 cops who are good, who are like just out to serve in their community, who want to make their communities better and safer places? You might not agree with all their policies. You may not agree with all their job descriptions, but that's what they're doing with the best intentions in the world. They just want to make their community a safer place. Their father did it. Their parents did it. Their mother did it. Their grandfather did it. That's kind of like a, a family tradition. You know, you're following your father's footsteps. Do you think those are the 2,400 people quitting? Or do you think it's the, you know, the 2,400 cops in there who, who are doing it for the power Who are doing it because guess what? If I become a cop, I get a gun and a badge. And if I have a gun and a badge, I have power. And I can stop people. Who do you think is going to quit right now? Do you think it's going to be the good cop or the bad cop? Now, if you're understanding basic logic, you will understand it's usually the good cop that's going to quit with the rhetoric that's been put out there right now. Is that going to make the cops better or worse? Also, if you're a kid right now, Aaron, and you were like, you know what? I want to be a cop. Imagine you as a parent. What would you say? Because you're like, yes, yeah, sir. Go be a cop. Yeah, that's a great idea. Or would you be like, look, son, daughter, look, I love you, but we need to just... Whoa! Let's put down the events of the accent for a minute. You need to, you need to slow down. You need to, to see the smell of the air, huh? You need to have some butter and some baguettes and uh, and not do this. Which would you do? Would you be like, okay? We have problems in our police force. It's happening all around the world. But you know what? All of these stories have involved COVID, currencies, cops, COVID in India. You know what the problem is? Is big government is abdicating its responsibility and it is seizing more and more power. It is dividing its people. We need to start understanding that we need to wake up. And when I say we, I mean everyone listening to this show, everyone involved in politics, both in America, in England, in Ireland, in Europe, in Asia, in Australia. I don't care where you are. You need to understand you are being played. Because if I can keep you divided and hating each other, guess what? Government always skates away with it. Government always gets away with it. We are living in a time now where in America and around the world, there is truly no understanding of limits of power. I always ask this question. When a government has the right and the power to tell you, you cannot hug your grandkid, what limit is there? Where is it like, oh, well, look, I can tell you you can't hug your grandkid for your own safety, but this fill-in-the-blank policy is way too far. No, that's, you can't, that's a line we don't cross. Really? There are people who have followed the laws who haven't seen their parents in over a year. When the government has that much power, what limit is on it? We need to wake up and understand. It really isn't left versus right. Yes, there's crazy leftists. Yes, there's some crazy writers from around the world. But we need to understand it's not left versus right. 
It's those in power who think they have a mandate, who think they have an obligation, or who think they are so powerful and so controlling that they have a right to compel you how to live. I am here to tell you they do not. You are a sovereign being. We need to start explaining the history of America and understanding the power structure in America when it comparing it to the rest of the world. You are the exact opposite. Every other nation is built on the power structure and government. You are built on the power structure of the individual. And we must make that case. It's not a power structure for the right, for the left, for the Republicans or the Democrats. It's a power structure based on the individual. The individual is sovereign. The individual has rights. And the individual should be left as long as much as possible. questions I get all the time, America, over the last 10, 20 years since I've been involved in your politics is, it's either a question or it's a slam. John, concentrate on Ireland. Why don't you focus on an Ireland? Why can't you do a European-speaking tour? You all know I'm coming there on August 28th. The reason being is because, firstly, America needs to reapply its principles of freedom. You have had this freedom in the past. Other countries have never had these freedoms. I believe and I'm betting on it's better odds of you are reapplying those freedoms than me explaining it to someone brand new from the start. The second reason is let's take any country, Ireland, England, Europe, Australia. Imagine I actually was successful and I got them to talk about basic first principles. My guest is a lady who's an Iranian-American. We're going to talk about what's happening in her country. Do you think Ireland is going to be a bastion of freedom and all of a sudden sort Iran out or England or Australia? The only hope I have, and maybe you can say I'm wrong when I say this, the only hope I see as a civilization is America reaffirming its principles, reapplying them, and being once again the shining city on the hill so we can actually have a generation of freedom for ourselves as we live, but also for our kids and our grandkids. With that, I'm joined by Tamara, oh no, Deborah Rossi. I know I'm going to, we were talking about this before and I knew I was going to butcher your name. She's a PR person for Young Voices, which is a great organization helping young people get the message out there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. And I knew I was going to butcher your name. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You did really well on the first name. It's Debo Zorgi. That's my last name. Debo Zorgi. So you have a fascinating story and I've, I've been really excited to talk to you about it because one of the things a lot of people do, and this is, I think, a world problem, is that we look at places like Iran or we look at, you know, Palestine or, you know, Saudi Arabia. We automatically have an opinion, oh, big, bad government. And we don't actually, it's very hard to visualize, yeah, their government is really bad, but what's life like on the streets? You know, what's it like for the average young person? It's not all, you know, their life to them is normal. So I'd love to sort of say to you, you know, you whereabouts in Iran did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Tehran. And as you just mentioned, uh, of course, there is a lot of conversations around how countries like Iran or Saudi Arabia is. I'm just going to make this caveat that 
most of the times people on the West always view people equal to their government when they want to speak about countries in the Middle East. They believe people are exactly the same as their fundamentalist government. They're fundamentalists. They are relig ex uh, you know, religiously extreme. They are this and that, but that's not true. Um, same thing with Iran. I mean, uh, Iran is one of the oldest countries in the world. It has a very deep... Um, cultural roots. It has a, a wonderful uh, nature. It's a beautiful country. And of course, for uh, young people like myself, growing up is kind of like, you know, everywhere else. Went to school, had friends, went out with my friends, had fun. I had great family. All these things you know, just like any other person. Of course, lifestyles are different and the government is, of course, not really, um, you know, the best type of government you ex you expect to have. Um, but I believe there are a lot of misconceptions about how people live uh, in the Middle East um, in general. Like everyone thinks there's constantly bombs or <laughs> it's unsafe yeah. or this and that, or it's just a big giant desert. No, it's not true. Middle East, it's beautiful. First of all, like Middle East, uh, we call it Middle East and everyone thinks, oh, it's just one giant piece of land and everyone's, you know, the same, all like Muslim, all speak Arabic. That's not true. Middle East has so many countries in it. Uh, it's a region and everyone speaks a different language. Each country speaks a different language. They're ethnically very diverse. And it's, of course, not a giant desert. Uh, every country in the Middle East has absolutely beautiful nature even the deserts are absolutely wonderful uh, i mean mostly uh, countries in the middle east including iran iraq they're pretty green and they have a lot of mountains <laughs> so okay. that's another misconception people have so what was life like growing up for you as a as a young lady in iran what, what were the sort of cultural norms like did you have to wear the, the hijab or did, were, did, were you in a segregated school like some of the you know what you know, I'm going on the cliches, obviously, but what was it like for you growing up? Yeah, so um, everything you said was true. I uh, had to wear a scarf um, since I was nine years old. And that's, you know, the age when, um, you know, it's mandated for girls to kind of... Um, start doing the things they have to do to be like a religious woman like virtuous and all that so yes mandatory hijab is for everyone all the women and uh, schools are all segregated um so i went to all girls school uh but um my school was great i do not really have any complaints there like the quality of the education i got i went to private school uh, was absolutely amazing it may be so competitive so when I came to the U.S. to start college, I already knew everything I had to know. So the quality of education that I got was really good. I went to a school which but was pretty liberal in terms of, um, you know, my parents were faithful. They were a little religious when I was growing up, but they never forced it upon me. They let me kind of explore and figure it out on my own. Um, I um, had the opportunity to visit a lot of places and kind of get exposed to um, Islam and also other religions. So I'm really, you know, proud of exploring that side. I am not a religious person whatsoever. Uh, I don't consider myself a Muslim at all. 
Um, but I've read the uh, I've read the holy book. It was part of uh, going to school there. But I I read it because I thought it's important to know. I learned Arabic while I was in school, and um, I know it really well. Like I can read the book without translation, and it really helped me understand. So growing up in Iran, um, it had a lot of difficulties, but at the same time, it gave me the opportunity to see some of the uh, the depths of certain things that maybe it's not really clear for anyone who doesn't live there or even for people who live there, maybe they, they're not really aware of it. So I'm really thankful for that experience of actually living there and ex getting to uh, kind of explore um, that side of the world that people on the West don't really have ideas about. Um, and, and, you know, another aspect of this was... Um, growing up there under a religious government as a woman it's not pleasant like i knew i always wanted to be a lawyer I, I was always into politics but i knew i did not have a place in the society so that was a huge pressure on me because i knew i wanted to do a certain thing but i was not allowed just because of my gender and um just to uh, kind of make this clear the, the government that has been um in place for the past 40 years is not what people want. It's just, you know, it's authoritarian government. They're like oppressing its own people. So it's not that the society is misogynistic in general, or they don't want to let me to improve. No, like they're, we have one of the, uh, we're one of the uh, countries that has the most number of educated women compared to men. Uh, but the government will not allow women to go and become public officials or they practice law, become judges. They just want to silence us. And that was a big part of growing up in Iran as a woman. It's like always feeling like I don't have a place in my own country. I can't change my own government. And I did not choose this government. I was born into the system that maybe like happened during my grandparents era not too long ago. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Going back just on, on a couple of things, just to get to get onto the lifestyle of things. So, you know, you, you said uh, as nine year old, you're nine, you turn nine year old, you have to you get the scarf. Is what does that conversation sound like with your parents? And like, is it strictly enforced? Like, you know, if you think of a typical, and I apologize for saying I'm going to, you know, I hope I don't fidget by saying genders here, but you know, if you say a typical nine year old boy, okay, you have to do this or don't do this. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but there's always that rebellious side of me goes, the parents goes, absolutely fine. Then you get your parents leave and it's like, Haha, I'm not doing this. What, we, what was said to you, basically, you know, you must do this or like you get whipped or like, what was the consequence if you took it off? Well, first of all, in order to go to school, I had to wear a scarf even when since I was seven, you know, okay. so it started from there. But I did not have to wear a scarf when I was seven in the streets. However, um, so my parents, I mean, everyone, it's just because it's law, like it's yeah. mandated by the government. If you don't do it, you will get arrested and you will go to jail. So nine year old. Yeah, I mean, they, yes, I was, uh, yes, I mean, nine-year-old, I had friends in middle school and uh, even in high school, it happened to me that the police had stopped them and took them to the, um, to the police station, like, asked them to sign all these documents. Yes, they don't really care about that. And, wow. uh, and I remember when I was in my early teens, it was during the time that we literally had the Sharia police. It's kind of like a joke here, but it really existed that they would just put women in the vans if they had like a little bit of hair at them. just, you know, just to make people like kind of panic. I guess they wanted to create this 
uh, dystopian sense of fear in people, but they did that. And it happened right in front of me. It was such a um, usual thing that my parents were also scared for my safety. And they thought, okay, you know, we don't want you to go to police station. So just make sure you cover your hair. It's not that they really wanted to do that, but they were also forced themselves. Like my mom also had to wear the scarf. Um, but I'll just to also make uh, this clear, like we don't have to like, cover everything like face or anything no yeah. it's just, just you know hair, something. Right? yeah just a little like put something on your hair and usually people have their hair out most of the times and over time it got looser and looser i have not been there in the past six years so i don't know what happened now like how it is now but i remember even when i was there like i watched that the society kind of rebelling against the mandatory hijab like women would like keep putting their hair out and when um, the new president, Hassan Rouhani, got elected, um, he kind of defunded the Sharia police and would not allow the police to catch people in the streets anymore. But it's still a law. Like, you can't still go there and not wearing anything on your head. Okay. And then so then the second thing, the fascinating part of your story is, so obviously you have all these rules against women and you feel like your voice doesn't count. So who was the driving force behind you? Were your parents like instilling in you that you can change it? And look, we can't say it publicly, but we're going to drive you to, you know, to be the best you can be. Or was it someone else? Or, you know, how did it, how did you get so competitive? Yes. Um, well, thank you for the compliment. Yes, I owe it a lot. I mean, all of it to my parents. And um, my mom, she's a very inspirational woman. Uh, she taught me English since I was a kid. My parents were always very keen to give me the best education. Um, you know, we were not really like rich. We're kind of, you know, middle class. My dad was an engineer and he was a university professor. My mom was a homemaker. Um, and so I guess my dad's like personal educational background really um like made him really prioritize my education over anything else so he would send me to like the most expensive private school like it didn't matter to him how much it cost he would like drive the old car but he would still like w send me to the best school that he thought would give me all the tools i need to become a successful person in the future and uh also i had wonderful teachers that uh, at any school that I was like they taught me how to think critically even though the the books uh, I mean there was like mandatory like theology all these like propaganda all the time even our in our education even in a private school but um, I had wonderful teachers who taught me how to critically think I had wonderful parents who gave me all the opportunities um, that I needed in order to kind of explore all my talents and interests and I also really um I believe I found my true interest in calling since early age uh, and I pursued it, even though it was against society norms, it was against all sorts of things, but I still fought and pursued it. And I am really glad I did it, even though it was really difficult at the time. So you're growing up and you're in this private school. What was the, what was the first time you sort of heard about America? You know, were you, what were you taught and what were you know what's the typical attitude you know america's the enemy or is that just a no 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 yeah that's total propaganda we like we all love america you know we all watch hollywood me movies i mean when i was in school like middle school my favorite series was friends and okay. um and again i spoke very good english since early age so i and was that allowed yeah uh, like well i mean 
we we would get it you know like we had uh, like one, one person had this dvds and they would like you know b let us borrow it and watch it and like give it back so yes oh, it wasn't it, on like terrestrial it was TV. not like allowed but you know people have access to internet people have access you know technology so and people are really resourceful in iran even though there is a lot of restrictions it's not that we're shut out like we find a way <laughs> yeah. uh, with vpns and all that we get through the government filters and <laughs> kind of go and do what we like so um and i'm really thankful for that as well like being in a like in a situation where i did not have any choice but to be resourceful in order to just get the basic necessities kind of i feel like it made me a survivor over time um so yes um it was really difficult to have getting access to a lot of things that people have here like just available to them like movies and music and this and that even um when i was growing up i did not have any like hard copy english books that i could read like storybooks uh because it was just not available we had all the translations you know published there but you know i wanted to read something in english like an original book I couldn't find it you know i had to like maybe search for like one bookstore in like some part of town that was far away that had like one copy of a book and it was like super expensive so that was the situation like lack of access but with all of that you know i was able to learn english i was able to get introduced to the american culture through like the bare minimums that was available to me and um it's well, not just me alone yeah exactly <laughs> you that have to american, study. that's american party <laughs> exactly like you have to watch it and like learn every and same thing i mean it wasn't just american culture that i wanted to get introduced to because i didn't know i would ever come to america um yeah. i thought i would go to france so like i had to learn a lot of french i had to get myself introduced to the french culture uh or the british culture or the german culture and all that so all of these things considered yes uh, i believe that um like all Iranians in general have this tendency of like being curious about how other people think. And if you go to Iran and just speak to a random person, they will talk, they will speak English to you. They will answer your questions. They are very friendly. They, we love tourists. We love people coming from the outside and like, we love to show them how the country is. Um, so yes, people are very hospitable and of course they love america we've been um iranians have lived with americans they have been allies before 1979 so there's this historical friendship uh, a lot of people who are there they're educated in america um so uh, again this whole like narrative is very new and it's just government being government it's not the people and that's the distinction i really want to make for your audience is that people are not the same as their government. Absolutely, and I, I fully agree. Look at America today. You know, I, I always say this, and I said this under Trump, I said this under Obama, I said this under Bush. I love America because of Americans, not because of your politics. I despise their politics for, for much of it. Um, so you decided to make, what was what led to the decision? So you turn 18 and then you come over here and you, you, you trade in that theocracy on Iran to go to UCLA. And it's like, <laughs> well, how does that come about? So that was a very difficult process. Uh, even like in retrospective, I look back, I'm like, wow, like that was, you know, kind of wild. Like how, if I had to do it right now, I couldn't. At the time I was like 17, I was young and wild. But at the same time, I was really pissed off. <laughs> at, yeah. at the time I was really, um, 
I would say hopeless. Um, I was accepted to law school in Iran, Law School, which is one of the top schools there. And as a woman, it's really difficult to even get accepted to a university, especially in a field of law, because it's you are discriminated against in the acceptance. Um, but I made it. it. I worked really hard for it. However, I remember uh, at the time I had received my green card, so I was able to come to the U.S., but it was still a tough decision to if I want to leave everything behind and go start from scratch or if I want to, you know, keep the way that I'm going. You know, I just got accepted to a law school. I can go to school for the next four years and then see what happened. But I remember when I got my green card, I the calls started. Um, the government would call our house and they would be like, hey, like, what what's up with you going to the U.S.? I see you guys have been traveling back and forth to them to America and blah, blah, blah. So it, at that point, I guess that, that's what hit me is that big government is watching me all the time here and I don't want to be under their thumbs. Why are they so like? angry that you know now i'm an american resident even though i didn't do anything wrong i'm a civilian i was never politically involved there i was a kid i was 18 and i guess i just got really sick and tired at that point that i don't want to be in constant fear of a, a an oppressive regime constantly monitoring me and monitoring my family or everyone and um another um thing was just since I mentioned earlier, just because I was a woman, I was not allowed to pursue so many fields, even as a lawyer. So if I even got my law degree there, it would be useless. <laughs> so uh, I yeah. still had to like go back and sit at home and I don't know, do something else with my time. I was now, I, I would not be able to pass the bar. I would not be able to become a judge or a public official. So I was like, that's not what I want. And now I have this amazing opportunity handed to me um, to go to the United States. And maybe it, it's unknown. I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't know if maybe I go there and hate it. But can it be worse than this? No, it can't be. I literally can't be who I want to be right now in this country. So that's when I packed my bags. I just took like two duffel bags and I, you know, booked a yeah. flight with my mom and like left. So... Here I am, so, five years later, never looked back, unfortunately. Awesome. And look at what look what you've achieved. So the question I always love to ask people is, especially you know, immigrants and stuff, is so you, you get on the plane, you get to go over there. What's the first big change in your life that you know it's like you have in America to um to Iran? So for me, it's something stupid that people just don't get because they don't understand the Irish climate. For me, the biggest change, I, I don't live there, but every time I go over there, is it's climate and the weather. Because Ireland, like, I'm really, the reason I'm wearing what I'm wearing right now is like, oh, yes, it's freaking cold. Like, I'm looking out and it's sunny and it's beautiful. And you're like, oh, that's a really nice day. And then you go out and it's like, I'm not joking. I have central heating on. It's like May. It's, and it's, I wish global warming was true. So <laughs> I just remember the waft of heat. I was like, oh, that's nice. Whoa, the, it's humid. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I like love 100 degree heat. Like I love Texas heat. All these Texans go, oh, it's so hot. And I'm like, bring it. <laughs> I want <Yeah>. more. <laughs> so what was the big thing for you that you noticed? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many things. I guess the uh, first thing that kind of hit me was like, 
highways and highways everywhere like giant highways with trucks like that was the first thing that hit me i mean tehran is a big city but it's very urban it's kind of like new york like every like narrow streets also like a lot of european cities also have like tiny streets you know always traffic jam like people living on top of each other and kind of seeing like this like whole like spread out world with so many highways and big buildings that you know are only like two stories like that was so um interesting to me maybe like that's the first thing that caught my attention it's like wait where are all the skyscrapers where are all the tall buildings it's like no right. those are not everywhere in america it's just you yeah. know downtowns so yeah. Uh, that was like one thing but um other than that the other thing that kind of hit me especially coming to los angeles uh i mean i did not come to los angeles initially i went to atlanta georgia first and then i came to uh, to la was i always pictured los angeles as like super luxurious city like just glamorous everyone's hollywood star and as soon as i just arrived I was like oh my gosh like this place is nasty and all the buildings are so <laughs> and now that I live that's my now, experience that's what I, just, what I told you before the show so yeah and, and Tehran is so clean and beautiful all the there's like marble buildings and all that like architectural design of all these like buildings is just wonderful but and then you come to LA and all the houses are just you know super old like not taken care of and there's like a lot of homelessness city is kind of like filthy it hit me I was like this is America <laughs> really yeah. um but um that was just like the first like five ten minutes I went Perfect. to school and I absolutely and now, that just... you're, now that you're there five years what's the what do you think is the biggest change for you Oh, like everything. I mean, everything has changed. The biggest one is that I found my freedom and I finally found the place that I feel like I really belong. And um, America is not a country I was born in, but it's a country that I chose to call home. And I think that is the most significant thing that ever happened in my life is finding a home finally. And I really love Iran. Like that's the place i'm from it's the 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 soil is where what really f made me who i am um but for whatever reason i could not feel the way i feel in the united states there um it was just not hard to verbalize that isn't it <laughs> yes it's yeah. it's really hard to... yeah so you understand all the time because i'm like you know, if I ever get there, oh my God, it's going to be, there's going to be one hell of a party. But to try and verbalize what it means, it's really hard to talk to an American because they take, you know, just true. And I would do the same in Ireland and, you know, you do it in your country. It's just, it's just like where I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. They're like, yes. Yeah. And that's, that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's just my life. And it's like, where it's like, no, you know, like the constitution is brilliant. It's awesome. It's exciting. Yes, it's absolutely. Just, we've had it 240 years. It's, it's still there. Yeah, yeah, they take it for granted. Yeah. And it's but it's not trying to say they take it for granted from my point, it's trying to really re-inspire them. And it's really hard to try and verbalize how much America actually means. And I can see because I'm actually looking through your eyes, is I can see it, you know, it, it is your home. You know, because I feel the same way if I that's my home and I please God I get there one day, but it's highly unlikely, but I'll keep trying. So but it is that home that you, you belong and you can be who you want to be.
and that, exactly. that message of freedom. something about like being the home is this is the home I work really hard for to achieve and like to be here and that's another misconception that a lot of um, people have about immigration is oh yeah immigrants just come here on like a cushion and they just have it all you know there's no like barriers of immigration no that's not true coming to the United States is probably one of the most difficult things anyone can do especially someone like me from Iran where there was like no diplomatic relationship between any of the countries is I had to go through like so many different channels to be able to process my immigration case and and that's very costly. That's very time consuming. It takes years and years of hard work. You know that. You know how difficult it is, Jonathan. It's, it's impossible to do it legally. And I think that's the that's one of the frustrations I have with people, you know, when they pick sides and different things is there's no ever talk about making a process. Like I have many friends on the left who like want open borders kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you have to process them somehow. I'm like, well, then let's make the system easier. And that would be a conversation I think would be open by all sides, kind of go, okay, look, we can't have everyone just pouring across the border or coming and overstaying the visa. Let's have a system where we can make it fair because, you know, the, the current system, the H-1B visa system, or the H-1B, the H-1B uh, visa is, you know, bankers and lawyers, and you got to have a lot of money and a lot of political connections. You know, I would say to people, look, if Glenn Beck, he's well-known, he's in the Radio Hall of Fame, can't get me a visa? That should tell you something about how hard the process is. Um, and, you know, he wanted to help me. And we met with lawyers and different things. So it's really hard to do it the right way. Um, but, you know, if you just do it legally and don't give a toss about America's laws, it's like, oh, you're a dreamer. Come on in. You act out of love. You know, you, you, you didn't commit a felony. And it's, that's, it's a really frustrating thing. But that's a side point because that will just get me upset and on a rant. I wanted to talk to you about, the reason I wanted to bring you on, obviously, I wanted to talk to you about Iran growing up. But also, there's been... I think there's a lot of frustrating things that's happening in the world right now because you look at you know what's happening in the culture where everyone's racist. If you have an opinion, you're if you dare express a non-democratic or a non-leftist opinion, you're a racist, you're a white supremacist, you're Hitler. You know, there is really bad things going on in the world. And one of the things happened last week where the UN, that great body, the United Nations, we all look up to, put Iran on the Commission for Human uh, for Women's Rights. How does this happen? Like, seriously, I actually think we're at the point where let's just see, let's just poke them with this. Like, you know, let's just, let's, you know, we need someone on the human, the women's rights. Yeah, Iraq, why not? You know, let's just see them all lose their brains over that. What can we do to stop this? Or what's your reaction, first of all, to this? I mean, first of all, it's, it's UN. <laughs> what do you expect? And um, I mean, I think it's just kind of ironic. Uh, someone, um, said this uh, earlier that, um, I'm just trying to remember, Hillel Neuer, the uh, executive director of UN Watch said this. Uh, he said that it's electing the Islamic Republic of Iran to protect women's right is like making an arsonist into the town fire chief. <laughs> so um, if you think about it, uh, maybe making uh, the arsonist a fire chief could, uh, like the, the arsonist can tell people what are the ways that they can start a fire. So that's how you can stop the fire. So maybe having Iran on the 
the team everyone can be like hey look at this guy like don't do what this guy did so and everything else will be just in place so that's one way so you're basically saying is it's the cheat code how do you evolve around yeah whatever they said the opposite (laughs) yeah like just whatever you said um so yes uh i guess that is one way to look at it in a humorous way but in another way um i think it's just ironic again um (laughs) There is a lot of uh, discrimination by law against women. I mean, I live there. I was a law student. And the reason I did not want to study law and anything was because I, as a woman, I couldn't do anything with it. That should tell you something. Like half of the population is barred from pursuing certain things. And I don't know what would you call it if not, you know, just violation of human rights right there. And aside from that, there are so many legal battles going on every day about basic rights. Like as a woman, if you're married, you have to have your husband's permission to leave the country so your husband can actually bar you from leaving and traveling outside of Iran if they want, whenever they want. I mean, hey, women are human beings. Like I have equal rights. I am as productive as another member of society. Why should I not have equal rights as the men? And again, these things are actually defined by the law, by the government uh, in Iran. It's not just people discriminating against women. No, it's the law discriminating against women. Like when the judge is ruling, they're like sitting, they look and see you're a woman and they will like, that will impact uh, what they will rule for sentencing for anything uh, just because you're a woman so um, I think that's absolutely awful and it should be one thing that other nations have to take note of like don't do this um, men and women must be equal in the eyes of law and women are not equal in the in the Islamic Republic by law uh, to so if you're so growing up in Iran, and this is you can answer this as yourself or someone else. What's the you know the way like when you're a kid, you have in America, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the quarterback of the New York Giants, or I want to be the home run king, or I want to be a top <laughs> lawyer, or I want to be a president of the United States, you know, the gold standard. Growing up as a woman for yourself or anyone else, what's kind of like the, 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 at the with the current model, the top job that you could kind of go, that's my aspiration to get here. So again, um, that's legal. I mean, yes, everyone wants to be doctors or engineers, of course, in Iran. Uh, and again, there's no like legal barriers for women to become doctors or engineers. However, if you want to go into the field of law or anything political and like decision making, yes, then there are some restrictions. And I remember as I was growing up, there were some changes in the Department of Education that they would like bar women from pursuing certain engineering fields as well because they believe women just fill up the seats and then they go get married and never work with a degree. So why don't we just not allow women to go to these universities? Speaking of public education, by the way, speaking of free college, this is what the government will do if you let them to take control of higher education. They can literally determine who can study what major, what gender, what, uh, you know, background. So I 
think that was awful and that's what happened so but that wasn't really like a barrier for any of the women i was growing up with like all everyone i know was extremely passionate and hardworking, and they're way more successful than any of the men around them uh so i uh personally i always wanted to be a writer i I was very interested in like animals. So I wanted to vet at some point, but um, I always had a passion for writing. And that's why I pursued um, literature in high school. And here I am, I'm literally doing, uh, you know, I'm literally reading and writing all the time for a living. So it's just perfect. I guess I achieved my, uh, my dream at the end. Um, but yeah, that's the job I always for, for, wanted. And that's the thing about freedom, the idea of America that, you know, the Emma Lazarus poem is probably, in my eyes, the greatest slam and insult to other nations is, give me your tired, your weak, and your hustle masses. You know, everyone that you say can't do it, that are, you know, women or, you know, second-class citizens, you give them all over here and we'll give them opportunity and look at what they can achieve when they're just left alone by the government. And look at, that's the idea. It hasn't always filled that case in certain aspects. You know, it's, it's kind of a mission statement, but it's never, we're humans, it's flawed. It's never been really visualized 100%, but it's the same principle. Like there is, like the idea that, you know, I don't understand racism the same way I don't understand sex. You know, you have literally zero control unless you're going to put chemicals in your body and change it. You, there is nothing you can do to alter it. All I can do is judge you by the content of your character. This seems obvious to me, but we don't seem to ever get to that point. And so what can someone, what can we do to support people in Iraq? Like to, to change the barrier, to, like the perceptions that you were saying, that it's not, you know, it's the people, it's not the government that's um, the bad, you know, it's the government that's bad, not the people. And to support them and kind of go, look, you have another option. You can be free. You can have a better life. You can, you know, the ironic thing is, you can reapply the life you had 40 years ago to Iran. Uh, I, the Iranian people already know that they are, they know what is like the problems that they have. Like we know uh, what we're dealing with. Uh, when it comes to the rest of the world and how they, if if anyone wants, like, is interested in looking into these issues or maybe looking into, the, like, what's going on in Iran, first of all, I highly suggest reading about the history and how, like, what were the chain of events that took place, and here we are, and, like, take notes from that, and also, uh, definitely finding the members of the Iranian community and talking to them and hearing their stories. Because I'm not the first person who has the story of leaving behind everything I loved to find freedom, to find what I always wanted and I was deprived of from the moment I was born just because of geography. Um, listening to those stories, I think can really impact individuals and how they view the world. And again, I'm not the only person who has the story. There are like like around a million Iranian Americans here to this day and a lot of them share similar stuff with me they have been they sacrifice a lot to be where they are and they're successful members of the American society now but they had to work so hard and lose so much in order to get where they are and just paying attention to them is just inspirational to anyone, including myself. Like I am very inspired to see what members of my community have achieved, no matter where they are, even in, the, in America, in Europe, all across the world. So that's one thing. And another thing is I want to 
um, I mean, my generation has to come to this understanding that government is not the solution to the problems that we have. They are the problem themselves, so we can't expect them to solve them. And I know that a lot of times, even when I was still living there, is that I we did not have any alternatives to the problems that existed. Like because there's no free market, there's no like, uh, and you know, activist voices are always silenced. It was really difficult to seek solutions outside of the system, and maybe it's, it's going to be a little more difficult when our next generation comes and they don't have grandparents who have seen before ninety seventy nine. You know, like my parents' generation barely remembered. My grandparents are the last generation who remember it, and after that, that history is just going to die. And that's my biggest fear: is that I want people to remember how we used to be. And how we can make a difference, and all of that comes by keep telling the story, keep reading the history, knowing what went wrong, and how we can fix it. Because you can't really fix a problem if you don't know the root, if you don't know the where it started, right? If you want to take out a cancer tumor, you have to know where it is first. So first, identify the problem. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. I mean, we have to tell all these things we have to share experience with our next generation with our peers with our fellow non-iranian friends tell them why this is important and it's not just going to be a unique problem to our community or our country it's gonna it can happen to anyone and that's another thing maybe a lot of people don't pay attention to that oh well we're different we're different than i don't know like iran or saudi arabia or this and that well sure but you know that how that happened, you know, what was life before, you know, falling into the hands of it, like a socialist Marxist Islamic government. They had also a free liberal society. And here they are now. It can happen anywhere. Um, so. And so, you've I see moved, so you've moved over there. What's the biggest thing, you know, if you're looking at the modern political climate here in America, which is obviously very intense and it's, it's very polarized of left versus right and you know, Republicans, Democrats, you know, taking a step back from that, looking, you know, having your life experience, seeing a, a big, powerful government where it's literally, you know, can destroy women's rights, just like anything, you know, just, just what you've just shared. What would your warning sign be to Americans today to talk about, you know, the issues of the day and kind of go, what do we, you need to start talking? What would your message be? First of all, um, when I look at the rhetoric, Unfortunately, it really scares me, especially when I listen to what the left is saying, because most of their message is literally the same thing as, for example, the message that their Islamic Republic has. Literally the same slogan. Give some examples, would you? Yes, you of say? course. For example, I mean, the basic example is like promise of free college, promise of free this and that. And that's what the message that Khomeini, you know, came to power with. I'm going to make everything free. I'm going to give free electricity, blah, 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 to all the houses. And people, some people bought it. You know, some people believed in that and they wanted free stuff. So they toppled down their Shah, their, uh, a Shah that was actually helping to promote a freedom of uh, free market in the country. So, um, and I hear the same rhetoric from the left here. It's like free college. I mean, free uh, this and that. Uh, and that really alarms me. It's like, do you know what happens if you give, for example, higher education uh, to the government? They can 
select who takes what seat in what university. You can never go and pursue the field of study that you like. And that's what happened to us. That's what happens to like all of us in Iran. We have to go through government to even study the major that we want. Why? It's not worth it. Like it, I, I'd rather pay and go to the university that I like and to study the major that I'm passionate for, right? And I want to have the choice. And a lot of people think giving up that choice, giving up that liberty for more security is the solution to a happier life. And um, I mean, education is just one basic example, but that's what we hear all the time. It's a slippery slope. Unfortunately, this is a slippery slope. And after that, what's going to be healthcare? Same story. Do you want the government to tell you what doctor you should go to? I mean, people are always like very scared of racism and they believe our, our country is racist and we have like all these discriminatory laws. So uh, I always wonder if someone believes that America is inherently a racist country, they want to give the very government the same power to determine who gets what health care. So like how this to me is just absurd. If one person believes that this country is absolutely evil, why would you want its government to make decisions for your education and your healthcare, right? So that's one because thing. Because they can shape um, it and mold it. Yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, you either believe this government is like angel on planet, so you trust them 100% with your money that will be put in good use, and you want them to make decisions for you for your healthcare and education, or you believe they're evil and racist, so therefore you don't want to give them your money, you want to make decisions for yourself the way that is best for you. Which one is it? So the left doesn't really get this, and that's what really makes Option me Option C, it's not in the Constitution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also like... Sorry. <laughs> so, so, I mean, this is just a basic way of putting it, but you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, no idea how many teasing. That's just my answer all the time. You know, I, I get I get slagged for it by everyone who listens to the show. It's my answer is follow the constitution. You don't you won't go far wrong. So um so what's the biggest issue then for you today that you're looking around, whether it's in America, specifically in America, if you don't mind, just what's that you're seeing right now? What's the biggest issue that you are you the thing you're most concerned with? Well, right now I've been following a lot of um a lot of national security issues. I've been following a lot about um the threats of, for example, China um, posing on our national security, our cyber security. I recently wrote an article about this. I know it's a little like off topic from like all the yeah, domestic yeah. stuff, but um, no, no, China and, and Iran are very close to each other. I know. And that that's what I'm getting at. So my background, my education background, I have a degree in political science and my specialization, uh, my specialization is in international relations. And I'm very interested in just studying all the countries. Um, and I've been really focusing on, uh, um, Sino-American relationship in the past couple months, just fascinated by everything. And it has become extremely, um, you know, important these days with all, you know, since COVID happened and all that. Um, and again, I call America my home and I want to protect it. I don't want the same things that happened to my previous home happen here again. And this is why I'm even more vigilant. It's kind of like I really, really, really uh, care about this place. I work really hard to achieve it. I don't want it to be harmed by any means, even by foreign threats. 
And um, so, yeah, I've been looking into a lot of cybersecurity and national security uh, stuff happening on the China's end. And there was a lot of development between Iran and China. Like they've been, you know, signing a lot of deals together. Iran literally giving up like a bunch of its resources to the Chinese government. And that should tell you something about where the ideology lies. So, um, and again, I am a little worried about um, our politicians if they want to keep appeasing a an aggressive government like China that is literally impacting all the world. And I don't want it to happen to the United States as much as it did happen to Iran. Um, they colonized their economy pretty much. And um, we have seen the consequences of being dependent on China in the past year. And I guess that's one thing I'm really, really... Uh, passionate about this moment and following awesome, awesome. so we got to finish up i got two last questions for you one is um who's your biggest influence so you, i'm guessing you started reading philosophy and i'm guessing you've read the constitution and different things sort of who was the biggest influence that you really kind of went wow they really got it. ron paul okay interesting and then lastly just the one question i just you know i think it's very important that you know, americans hear this from you know an iranian american what does america mean to you and you know why is it an exceptional nation and you know just sort of say because there's a lot of rhetoric from certain places like you know oh they're immigrants they're all bad or the different things that you're an iranian american and this is what america means to you and that you know this is we can find common ground so what would you say to them america to mean uh means um life, liberty, pursuit of happiness to its fullest extent. And I'm going to emphasize mostly on pursuit of happiness. And what it means to me is having choices and the freedom to make those decisions. It really matters to me. And in America, um, I found it. And that's freedom, in my opinion, being able to make decisions for yourself uh, in a way that you want without government stopping you. Uh, and that's uh, and it really makes me tear up when I just, you know, think about it. Even the other parts of this phrase, life, living in a country where the government could kill you at any moment without any uh, checks and balances. No, no one would ever prosecute anyone who killed you if, you know, the government did it. Like no one could even touch them um, is scary and even if you never did anything just the fact that you know that the government has that power is scary and i i believe living somewhere where you don't have to be scared for your own life is absolutely uh, energizing and gives me some hope to keep going and keep pushing and i want to make sure that Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness is the remains as the uh, essence of America, and I want it to be where everyone can also find what I found, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their age, gender, background, religion. Um, it has to be for everyone, not just for a certain group of people or for uh, someone that is looks like me. No, absolutely not. This is a not an exclusive life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. It's very inclusive. It's for everyone. And I'm very thankful as an immigrant, I could find a home here in a very short amount of time. It would not be possible even in another country, even in Europe, it would not be possible for an immigrant like me to be 
part of the country. You know, like it's not possible for people to become citizens in Germany if they're not born there or in England. It's really difficult. In America, no, if if you're legally here and if you follow the procedure in a very short amount of time, you're you have a path to citizenship. You can work and be part of the society. And I'm really glad that exists and I don't want it to be taken away. Um, and that's what I want America to keep being. That's awesome. America, we finish the way we do every Saturday. Uh, we do every week by saluting you, the great American people. Never forget the sentences. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of Biden. You're not great because of Trump or Republicans or Democrats. You're great because of each and every one of you. And don't forget to tune in next Saturday. It's a special show. You don't want to miss it. It's on about income. It's on about horrific policy on taxation, which is going to destroy every market that you know and is going to hurt the person society. Do not miss the show. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful one next week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.